Great job to those of you in the room, and uh, for those of you that joined it online wearing the ugly sweaters, I know some of you are really dismayed because I didn't wear my button-up cat whatever it was going on uh, to preach in. Um, it's because, and, and I, this is true, I have standards, and especially when I preach, I feel like I should, you know, I don't know, not be wearing kittens on my outfit. So uh, just a personal thing, personal thing. You may feel differently about it. Um, Welcome to part two of a series that we started last week in a really big way called Big God. And so if you're coming in today, it's going to feel like a really quick ramp up because I don't have a lot of time because we have some baptisms today, which is really awesome. Um, If you're not Christian, today is going to be, I think, of value to you um, because By the end of today, and hopefully if you haven't watched last week's, you'll go back and watch last week's message on our app or on our website, but you will leave the message feeling humbled. In fact, if you're a Christian, I hope today that you will leave or continue to feel a little more humbled by today's topic. Because in this topic, my hope is through kind of an unconventional way, not something that I think a lot of pastors, this definitely is not a series I heard growing up in church um, or a topic for that matter that I heard growing up in church, but it's a series about understanding our place in the universe, more specifically our size in the scale of the universe and our power in the scale of the universe, which as we learned last week, is really, really, really small. Almost, it would almost be too much to say that we are a sliver in the universe because I'm not, I'm thinking actually that that may be a little too big. But if you're a Christian especially, I hope, and not only is it humbling, but that you leave having a greater respect for the size and the scale of our God, and you respect that more and put the rest of our lives, your life, in perspective considering God's incredible scale. That not only would we have a healthy perspective, we'd have a better respect and maybe even worship for our creator. Last week we started and I introduced you, if you've never seen this picture before, I introduced you to our galaxy. Um, This is our Milky Way galaxy. This is the galaxy that we call home. Um, You can't see us on here. I showed you last week that we're kind of somewhere around there. Uh, in, in, but we're way too small to be seen on, in, in a thousand, hundred thousand light year scale. Um, but this is our home galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy. Um, and, and nobody's ever been outside the galaxy, so we don't know exactly what it looks like, but this is a scientific rendering based on what we can see and, and what we can see in other galaxies, which we're going to see a lot of galaxies today. But last week I introduced you to a concept of scale, um, and I introduced you to the largest star in our galaxy that we have been able to discover or see so far through telescopes. And if you remember, it has an unusual name. It's called UI Skatai. And here is a a rendering of what that looks like. This is our sun right there. And if you say, well, Taylor, I can't see our sun, that's because, well, neither can I. And this is like a, what, a 1080, you know, high-def TV. It's only a pixel compared to UI Skatai. It's so incredibly, our sun, even though it's so much bigger than we are on Earth, it's so much bigger than even, UI Skatai is even so much bigger than our, um, our own sun. And so I put it in context. Uh, If you remember um, last week, I used the example of a golf ball. um, And I use this golf ball to represent uh, our planet Earth. So essentially, imagine for a moment that this is planet Earth. And so I told you last week to find yourself on planet Earth. Okay, everybody got themselves. 
wherever you are on this ball. Hopefully not the side that's going to get hit. Anyways, so um, this is Earth, okay? And if Earth were a golf ball, six point, let me double check, 6.489 quadrillion Earths could fit in the star known as UI Skatai. And that's a number that's kind of hard to process because we really don't talk in terms of quadrillions very often. And so I gave you a helpful example um, to kind of understand this by scale. And I used time to do it, if you remember from last week. And so I said um, a thousand seconds equals 16 minutes. Okay, a thousand seconds equals 16 minutes. Because we understand kind of what a thousand is. We kind of understand what a hundred thousand, we kind of understand what a million is. But what we find using this example is we don't really grasp when we get into the billions and the trillions and the quadrillions how big of a leap that takes from a thousand. So a thousand, if you go back in time, a thousand seconds is 16 minutes back in time. If you go back in time a million seconds, anybody remember that's how many days ago? Good job, 12 days ago. Yep, 12 days ago. And then this is where it really starts to jump up. So now you're going to have a healthier respect for Jeff Bezos and all those billionaires out there, how much money they have, okay? Maybe you didn't respect them to begin with. I don't know, but it's a whole other conversation. Um, so a billion dollars or a billion seconds ago is how long ago? Anybody remember? July of, not this year, of 1990. That's how far back a billion seconds is. Okay? And then we scaled it up. We said a trillion seconds ago, to which you start to think, okay, well, if I'm trying to put this on a scale, you know, if that's July of 1990, maybe Christopher Columbus, maybe Jesus, I don't know, Taylor, where are we at in here? Uh, a, billion, or a trillion seconds ago is approximately 29,000 BC. In other words, 31,000 years ago is a billion seconds ago. And we're not even to the size of UI Skatai yet. So let's jump it up now to a quadrillion. One quadrillion seconds is 30,800,000 years ago is a quadrillion. And UI Skatai is 6.489 quadrillionth the size of Earth. In other words, that's how many Earths could fit in this one star in just our galaxy. Now you have a healthier understanding of our national debt at a trillion, don't you? It's a lot, okay? The largest star can fit 6.5 quadrillion Earths. And then what was even crazier is to realize that this incredible star that's massive, that in Christianity we believe God created, when you look back at our galaxy, 100,000 light years across, UI Skatai isn't even big enough to show up in this image. You can't see it in here. It doesn't stand out because it is in the scale of just our galaxy alone, it is too small for us. I think that's incredible. The largest star in our galaxy, too small to see in comparison to, to just even our galaxy. So today, what I want to do for just a few minutes is to remember back to your history class, which some of you were asleep in. I totally get it. Okay. It's history. Doesn't seem that relevant and exciting. 
But humanity has had this um, issue uh, with understanding our place in the universe for a long time, right? We, we looked at the stars, we looked at our earth, and we thought for the longest time that the earth was flat, yeah. And then we got off of our planet and we began, and we looked at it scientifically, and we began to realize it's actually a globe, not a perfect globe, but it's a, it's a circle, right? I mean, it's a globe. And that was kind of deflating to some of us, and still is. And then we thought, well, for sure, we are the center of our solar system, that the planets and the star that is at our center and, and all the stars around us, they circle around us, right? We're, of course, the center of our galaxy. And I don't know about you, but this is like a cosmic example of just our personal pride sometimes, right? We kind of think we're the center of the world a little bit, you know? I mean, we're just the center of our own little world and everybody else is just circling around us, okay? We've been there, we've all been there, okay? I've been there, you've been there, let's be honest, okay? And some of you are still there. Um, and then we realized over time that we're not the center of our solar system, that we're the third planet from the sun and actually all of us circle around our sun. And then we realized how big our sun was and we're like, actually that makes sense because we're kind of tiny in comparison to our sun and that was rather deflating. And then we looked outside of our solar system. We began to realize that not only did we live in a galaxy full of other solar systems and other stars and other planets for that matter, we began to realize that there are other galaxies out there as big and as vast and sometimes bigger and badder than our own home galaxy. And that was humbling, or it should have been humbling. It's deflating a little bit. Stephanie and I, my wife and I, we talked about it this week, and it's intimidating. Like, if you seriously let this reality sink in, it's like, we're just so small, and everything we do is so small. Every conversation and every step forward and every goal we accomplish just feels so small. And I think, as a side note, that's kind of the reality when you actually seriously start learning about God, too. The more you learn about God, the more I learn about God and learn to trust God more. I don't generally think bigger of myself. I think smaller of myself. And this is not a bad thing. Some of us think that to think less or to think more in a healthy perspective of ourselves is a bad thing. I actually think it's a freeing thing. It's free to look at our life for what it is and to think of our God for what he is. And to not live lying to ourselves that we're better than we are, that we have more control and power in our lives in the world than we actually do. And I think when we have a healthy understanding of God, God helps to free us from those misunderstandings, those lies that we tell ourselves to give ourselves a healthier perspective. Because my friends, and you know this, in truth, there is freedom. And to have a healthy truth about who we are in the scale of our universe can actually be freeing and help knock our pride down to a level that I think is healthier and more reasonable and more God-honoring. And so we had all these discoveries as humanity and our ego was kind of deflated. And then in 1995, humanity had another reality check, but it wasn't a very well-known reality check. You may have never even heard of what I'm about to share with you. Scientists had this unique idea. They said, why don't we take the most powerful telescope that humankind has ever created? 
you may know this, it's called the Hubble Telescope. And it sits in space and it orbits above our Earth and takes incredible pictures of our universe. And it's been there since the 90s. I mean, it's been doing some really hard work. And what's even cooler, and I didn't plan to time this out like this, um, but on Christmas Eve right now, the next version of Hubble is going to launch. And it's called the James Webb Telescope. And it's a $10 billion, $10 billion telescope that I'm just telling you, when it gets operational, gets up into space, starts doing its thing, it is going to upend our understanding of the universe. It is so much more powerful than Hubble. And it launches on Christmas Eve as of right now. That's a side note. But back to, so that we said, the scientists said, hey, let's take Hubble and let's point Hubble into a space in space that we don't think anything exists that hardly has any dots of light in it. And let's point it there and just leave it there for a while and see what it sees, which is kind of a crazy idea. A lot of people thought it was a terrible idea to do that because we're just wasting time on a telescope looking at nothing. Or maybe, scientists thought, there was something. And so they essentially took Hubble Telescope, and uh, I didn't bring a pin, but a pin would be a better representation, but I brought a pen. And what they did is essentially they took the point of a pen, and if you hold a pen out at arm's length distance, and you look at the head of it, they took Hubble and they pointed it at a space um, just near the um, milk, or not the Milky Way, the uh, Big Dipper's uh, handle. They pointed at a space there, and they left it there staring at that point, that tiny, tiny, tiny point for 10 days to let all the light that could possibly hit the camera on Hubble hit it for 10 days. And they left it stationary just pointing at this little speck. And they thought, okay, we see a couple stars here, but what else will we find? After 10 days, here's what they started to see. Here's a video. A couple stars became a few more stars became a few more stars. And actually, then they realized it's actually galaxies, that each one of these specks are entire galaxies. And they started to fill the screen and fill the screen and fill the screen and fill the screen and fill the screen until they discovered that in this pinprick held at arm's length in the sky, there were 3,000, not stars, 3,000 galaxies plus each of these galaxies holding probably somewhere along the lines of billions and billions of stars and planets. At the time in 95, this was the farthest we had ever seen into our universe. So if you go out tonight, and this is not exact, but if you go out tonight and you take a pen or a pen and you go out and you look up at the sky, because I think it's going to be clear night again, and you hold up this pen, and you look at the point of it, every single point, thousands of galaxies with billions of planets and stars are in that speck. But please be careful when you do, because I know some of you, you'll go out in the dark with a pen, and you'll stab yourself and tell everybody the pastor made you do it, which is just going to be a disaster. So maybe have a friend go with you, make sure you don't hurt yourself, post pictures, I'm bleeding, I stabbed myself, the pastor told me to do it in the dark. Okay, so just be safe. But it's humbling. It's incredible, I think. And then scientists had a better idea. In 2002, they upgraded Hubble's camera to be even a better camera. And they said, what if we did this again? What if we looked at a new point in space with a better camera and we left it there for days on end and we just see what we see? 
And they called this picture that you currently are looking at is called the deep field, Hubble deep field. They call this next picture the ultra deep field. And what you're going to see in this next video is a 3D rendering at how far into the distance of our universe that they actually saw. Because you can tell by light, whether it's a red or a bluish hue, hue, excuse me, how far it is away from us, what's closer and what's farther away. And so they were able to make a 3D rendering of this, okay? And here's what they saw when they pointed Hubble with a brand new light camera on it. The galaxies, these are galaxies, just start flying, flying by. Right here, this galaxy right here is about 5 billion light years away from us. 5 billion light years away from us. A new galaxy. A new galaxy. And then they started looking deeper and deeper and deeper. And the next image you're about to see um, is of two, right here, two galaxies, and they're actually colliding. And they kind of go in and out and they come together. Our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, scientists estimate have about five uh, galaxy collisions so far. We're actually made up of five other galaxies. In about five billion years, we're going to collide with our next door neighbor, the galaxy called Andromeda. And so our two galaxies will collide and become one giant galaxy. And then this last one that you're going to see is the farthest at the time we had ever looked back into our universe right here, 12.6 billion years ago, light years away. And it's a galaxy beginning to form. This is a picture of a galaxy that was born at about 10% of the current age of our universe. This is the farthest back we've ever looked. And look at it just zoom out and all the galaxies just flying away. Look how far back we saw in the Hubble deep field just right under the constellation Orion, which we talked about last week. Eventually, scientists come to realize that um, they had seen with the ultra deep field about 600 million years before the creation of our universe. And that one speck of light that hit Hubble's camera, when it hit the camera was about 13.2 billion years old. And that light that had been traveling across the universe for 13 billion years hit Hubble's camera. 13 billion years. And we live what? A hundred at best? The universe is so big that a pin prick in the night sky can hold quadrillions of stars and planets. And it makes us feel so small, but my friends, it begins to help us understand the size of our God. The universe wasn't created for you and I, it was created by him. And that's the scale that he works at. And to do anything smaller would mean to diminish the grandness and the majesty of our creator. It's so massive. This is why when the biblical authors talk about God, they use all these different words like God. They use the word omega and alpha, the I am and the creator of all things, our Lord. I think it's so big, our universe is so big that it's difficult for us. I know it's even difficult for me and I love this stuff. It's difficult to trust that. 
It's difficult to believe that what you just saw in that video is real. It's just that intimidating, isn't it? But that's the universe we live in. That's the God in which some of us choose to worship. Some of us wish to bring our problems to that God's feet. And I think that God's got it. I think he's fine. I think sometimes we're the ones that get a little off. We're the ones that have an unhealthy perspective sometimes. We're the ones that have a difficult time believing that 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 size is real. And we also struggle to believe that our God is real. They're kind of two of the same coins. It's difficult to believe the vastness of the universe. And in the same breath, it is difficult to believe that is the vastness of our God, isn't it? It's hard to trust and have faith in that. It's hard to believe that we are that insignificant like we talked about last week. But my friends, and this is the part that I love. This is the part where I think it starts to click, where you start to have that aha moment in our lives, in our hearts, is when we sit there and we look at this vast universe and we look at ourselves and we feel so incredibly insignificant. And then what? We say, what do we do with this insignificance? Well, here's my question to you. What do you do if someone you love feels insignificant? Think about this. What do you do when someone you feel, when you, someone you love is hurting, feels lost, feels down about themselves and down about their life and down about the world around them? What do you do when your child is sad? When someone is sick, when someone is hurting, when someone needs help. The first thing most of us do is we go closer to them. Whether it be we sit by their bedside, we give them a hug, or at the very least we give them a call or drop them a text. What do we do? We get closer to them to let them know that they're loved and that they're cared for. We lessen the gap. We become real. We become close. In six days, we celebrate Christmas. And Christmas is God coming close. So if you look at this big universe thing and you say, I feel insignificant, we have an answer for that. His name's Jesus. He came close. God became flesh and dwelt among us. God, who is so massive, didn't want to be so big, so vast, you couldn't relate. So he chose to relate. He chose to be real. He chose to have relationship and to connect with us. He chose to become us. And he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. We are so small, yes, on a cosmic scale, barely discernible. But we are incredibly loved by an incredible God. We, we have an indescribable love directed towards us by an indescribable God. And you can doubt that, and that's okay. 
but I hope you will realize the vastness and you will have to wrestle with the vastness of creation. And in so doing, I think you're also wrestling with the vastness of the creator. This is what Paul said in one of his letters, kind of ending a thought. He made a lot of points and, and he just came to this point and he said, you know what, just stop for a second. Just, just hold on for a second. He said, I wanna pray for you. And my prayer for you is that you, being rooted and established in love, not in the world's love, but in God's love, may have power together with all the Lord's people that you all would come together and you'd all be a church. And together in him, you would grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And that you would know that this love that suppresses knowledge, like you just can't even understand it, just like you can't understand the universe. Even if I give you great time analogies and hold up golf balls, you just can't process it. That you may be filled with the measure of that fullness of God. That you wouldn't feel alone. You wouldn't feel isolated. You wouldn't feel insignificant. You would feel full because that big of a God wants to live inside you and wants his love to be known totally and completely to you. And we know that love because God came here as a baby. The same way we come into the earth. He could have come in a number of different ways and what did he choose? He came to, chose to came in a way that we understand. Vulnerable, mortal. He didn't fly everywhere he went, he walked everywhere he went. He talked, he ate, he broke bread and drank with humanity. Not so that we would feel condemned, but so we would know that we are saved and loved. We'd feel alive and loved and forgiven of our sins, that we wouldn't have to feel shame anymore and we would feel valued in the vastness of the universe, that as we discovered more as humanity, as we looked deeper and deeper into the creation, we wouldn't feel intimidated. Instead, we would remember how much we are loved. We would create the vastness of the universe to the vastness of God's love for us. And that is why there is joy on Christmas. That is why angelic hosts sing on Christmas. They sing hallelujah, hallelujah, because God came to live with us. And for those of us who have made that decision to follow that love, to follow God's son, Jesus, to follow God, we celebrate that, we acknowledge that through baptism. We're gonna have baptisms now. And in baptism, it's a public statement. It's an outward symbol of an inward decision to follow Jesus. We've made it inside, it's happened inside. We've made that choice. And now we're gonna go public with it. And we're gonna tell people how we got here. And as a humanity, we're here because God loves us. And on an individual scale, we're here and we celebrate baptism because God loves us. And we find peace and freedom and salvation through Christ who gave his life for us. 
See, we don't even have to experience death alone. Our God died. One of our greatest fears in life is what happens at the end. We push it off, we think we're gonna live forever and he even dealt with that. That is a relational, compassionate, loving and universal, universe creating God. So what we're gonna do right now is I'm gonna stop talking. And you're gonna watch a little video that explains again what I just explained with baptism. And then you're gonna watch Grace's story and how she has come to this decision to follow Jesus, to follow that love. And then she's gonna get baptized. And when people get baptized here at Infuse, especially if it's your first time, this is something that's exciting. This is something that's joyful. And so we cheer and we scream. You can even stand up if you want, but then you're gonna have to sit back down because then we're gonna have another baptism. Jenny's gonna get baptized. We're gonna, here's her story and she's gonna baptize. And then we're all gonna stand up and we're gonna cheer and we're gonna yell and we're gonna sing together, okay? So that's what we're gonna do for the next few moments. So as you hear these stories, remember vast God loving each and every one of us, including those people who are getting baptized today. Here's what baptism's all about and Jenny and Grace's story. My name is Grace Scully Schultz. I've always followed Jesus and believed in him since I was baptized as a baby. And I've always had people in my life tell me that he was our Lord and Savior and that we should always believe in him no matter what. When I was younger, I went to catechism classes and I've always prayed in church. But whenever I did these things, I never actually thought what it meant to follow Christ. I think I did these things to try to feel a connection with him since everyone else had always told me to believe in him and to put trust in him, even though I was just a kid and didn't really realize what it meant. This year in early spring, I was in a relationship. It was a totally normal and healthy relationship, but after about a month into it, I felt like I was putting in more effort to the guy I was dating and the relationship I was in than I was myself. I was singing at Infuse and had been attending a lot more regularly. Those were the things that were starting to point me to God's direction more and making me follow him more closely. I knew I needed more time for God than a relationship and that I should be investing my time into relationships that truly matter. At that time, I started thinking about what it actually meant to follow Jesus and how that would work for me. I started reading my Bible more and started praying more often than I usually had. I even started reaching out to more followers of him to ensure that I was on the right path. The more and more I continued on the path of finding him to be my savior, two major life events really made it concrete for me. 
In June of this year, my family and I lost one of the greatest women in our lives, my grandma Barb. And in August of this same year, we lost another great soul, my Nana Dixie. These two deaths really took a toll on my family and I. Right after both of them passed, I didn't know if I could rebound from it. But as I processed it more, I realized that everything here on earth is temporary, and only God is eternal. The God who will always be there for me and the God who sent his son Jesus as my savior for my sins. After my grandma and my Nana's death, I knew that he was not only there for me, but for them. And I think that gave me the sense of clarity and relief. He saves all of us, even if they're in heaven or here on earth like me. A love like this can never be unmatched. So after my journey to get closer to Christ this year, I made the decision that my next step is to get baptized. I feel like it's my time to show how grateful I am. I want to show my love and appreciation to him, and I wanted to honor his selflessness. I want to have that official and important relationship with him, and I want to listen to everything that he says and teaches to us. I also want to be free of all the sins he has forgiven me of, and to be one with him and walk with him through the rest of my faith journey. I have decided to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I cannot wait to tell the world. My name is Jenny Schultz Langfit. I'm a wife, a mom, and a grandma. I've got two kids, four bonus kids, and a brand new grandbaby. My life before following Jesus was full of chaos, uncertainty, me fighting for control and emptiness. I was baptized at an incredibly young age, switched religions, and hit other milestones like communion and confirmation along the way. I was always a believer in God, but I never had a relationship with Him. I always prayed for other people, but never spoke to God for myself. Praying for myself actually felt pretty selfish, and I figured God knows me, He already knows my needs and my desires. I fell away from the church, I eventually got into New Age spirituality, and I was trained to use my God-given gifts in an irresponsible way. I used tarot and oracle cards and my mediumship abilities, which left me incredibly drained and feeling like something was still missing. God was drawing me into him in many ways throughout my entire life, but I fought it. I fought him. I did not understand. Experiences like losing my mom at the age of five and having two near-death kayaking experiences shaped my view of God. I was angry about losing my mom. I didn't understand how God could justify taking a mom of three. I also didn't understand how doing something I loved and being in the water with my kayak could result in these near-death incidents. In time though, I realized we all have free will and that the choices we make can have consequences that come with them, even for those that we love. In the winter of 2020, my marriage was falling apart. Because I had previously been divorced, I knew the worldly ways of a divorce. I knew when filing for divorce in Iowa that there is a 90-day waiting period before you go in front of a judge to have the divorce decree signed. So I was going to wait my 90 days for a divorce to be final and then continue with my life 
in my own way, seemed easy enough. I've done it before. My 90 days was nearing. In March of 2021, I was stopped in my tracks when I felt that God was calling me to stand for my marriage. To me, that was complete insanity, and it made absolutely no sense. I didn't even know what that meant. I responded to that request with, I have done it all, this marriage is done, there is nothing left to do. God responded to me, how's that going for you? Honestly, it wasn't going. It wasn't anything that I could control. I was looking at another broken marriage, nothing like being called out by the big man upstairs. God provided me with some big promises. God provided me with visions of what my marriage could be. I was shown marriage restoration and my family being back together under one roof. So I said, okay, show me, prove it. I knew if anything was going to change, it was going to be God's will. So I dove into an online ministry group specific to using the Bible and scripture for understanding what standing for my marriage even meant. I stood those 90 days, or so I thought. But I knew that full transformation and healing was coming, and I was hesitant because I didn't want to lose some parts of me. Being obedient to someone other than myself did not sound like the most fun. I did not want to lose the fire that made me who I was and to lose my independence. Remember the prove it comment? God was all over it. God spoke to me through music and scripture for some really big proof. And when I asked the how and the why of standing, he led me to the songs, Reckless Love and Spirit Lead Me. I dove into learning all about my relationship with God, how to speak to him, and then how to stop and listen. My prayers were being answered little by little, sometimes in really big ways. Piece by piece, my fears were alleviated. March through June, I had a complete death to self. And when I rose again in June, it was time to practice my skills that God had placed in me responsibly. God created me to be me. I just needed his love and freedom to refine and heal deep traumas I had buried and to heal the abandonment that had laid dormant inside of me for the past 34 years, the time that my mom had passed. I had invested money in many different healing modalities, but what I hadn't tried was God, and it turns out, God is free. He helped shake the walls that I had built around my heart, and I learned that those walls were keeping good people at arm's length. He gave me tests along the way, my grandma Barb was called home to heaven on June 18th, 2021. I was there for her final breath and to walk her home to Jesus and to my mom. Without my go-to support person, my husband, by my side, I was presented with some options. Cope with alcohol like I had done in the past or lean into God. I've learned to lean on God and to give him my burdens. Today, I go to God with all my worries and fears. I do not live in anxiety, I don't fear my future, and I'm not stuck in my past. When I feel shaky, I reach to His Word, and I'm surrounded by my fellow prayer warriors in my standing online community 
my small group here at Infuse, and strong, godly women and the best friends and family. God wins. He makes me a better wife, mother, daughter, friend, and human. My name is Jenny Schultz Langfit, and God through Christ is my savior, and I'm here for it. <laughs>